Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 82 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today I have Gwen back on the show to talk about another important topic of grief. Today we talk about sibling grief and what it means to lose your sibling and how we as grieving parents can help our children grieve and really understand a little more of what our children are going through individually. Oftentimes the parents get so much support and the children can be kind of forgotten grievers. So today we focus on them really exclusively. As a reminder, if you want to learn more about Gwen and what she has to offer in her video series, you can go to grief-guide.com and look up her video series. As another reminder, I also bought some of the video series. You have a little coupon code that you can type in and get that for free. I have several more of them left and no one ever seems to write me to ask for them. And I am very excited to give them out. So please don't be shy. If you want to listen to Gwen and learn more from that great video series, feel free to write to me and I will send you the code so you can get them for free. Also, if you have any ideas on topics that you would like Gwen and I to talk about in the Always Andy's Mom podcast specifically, please just email those ideas to me as well. I've gotten many of the ideas for shows from listeners in the past. That's pretty much where they all come from. Usually I will pick out a theme on some of the emails that I have gotten recently, but Gwen and I decided maybe it was time to just ask the listeners specifically, what would you like us to talk about? So feel free to write to Marcy at andysmom.com with just some of those ideas. For today, just enjoy listening about sibling grief. My favorite. I love having Gwen. So welcome, Gwen, back to the Always Andy's Mom podcast. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. We talked about last time about how we're going to kind of share some little emails and stories that I receive from listeners kind of at the beginning Uh of the shows that we do together. So I am going to start out by reading this just beautiful poem. So I had a man write to me, Tim from Australia. Tim and his wife have four children. And last year, his five-year-old son, Samuel, was diagnosed with a brain tumor and died only a few months after being diagnosed. He was reminded by a poem that he wrote, actually before Samuel ever got sick, that he named my boy. And it was so beautiful. And it just reminded me so much of being a mom to Andy and our, my hopes and dreams. 
that I asked if I could share it today because I feel like so many of my parents will really be able to relate to it. And he graciously said yes, that I could read this beautiful poem. So I'm going to start out doing that. And I'm going to try very hard not to cry, but it is a gorgeous poem. So it's called My Boy. Today I saw a life begin, a scream, a cry, a teary grin, a mother's welcome, skin on skin. She welcomes you, my boy. Your eyes like sparkling azure pools, the sacred moment where love rules has turned better men into fools, and I'm your fool, my boy. And now you've shed your warm cocoon, you'll shed my arms for walking soon, and learn to sing life's merry tune. And I'll sing too, my boy. And before enough time can pass, I'll walk you into your first class. Then I'll gaze softly through the glass and wish you well, my boy. And when you learn what freedom buys, trying choices on for size, ignoring me whilst I advise, I'll dream for you, my boy. And when your heart breaks for the first, when life turns blessed into cursed, then in his love you'll be immersed, and in mine too, my boy. And when you set out on your own to take a wife, to build a home, that journey into the unknown, still you'll be my boy. And when you have your own child too, and learn what and what not to do, feel ill-equipped? Well, join the queue, and I'll be there, my boy. And then perhaps you'll understand how a heart's that's full can still expand at a single touch from a tiny hand. And then you'll know, my boy, that this love words do not behoove, nor grandest demonstrations prove this love, which shall not ever move from the object of my joy from you, my precious boy. Mm. You're right. That is very beautiful. I know it's so beautiful and so moving and it just obviously yeah. just makes me cry because I think of all of the dreams, hopes and dreams I had for Andy and how, you know, part of those happened. Right. But not all yeah. of them. So mm -hmm. thank you, Tim, for sending that. It is so beautiful. Yeah. I just found it really powerful. Mm -hmm. And thank you for allowing me to share it today on the show. And that that's speak so much what you just said to the things that we've talked about over and over is that nobody has a child envisioning that they would ever outlive that child. You know, like our hopes and dreams are all yeah. for them to live and have a wonderful life and do all the things that he talked about in there. And so it just stops us so much in our tracks because it's not I mean, we think about our parents, we think about our siblings, even our friends. We know that, you know, they're yeah. going to die, but we do not think that with our own children. No, no, mm -hmm. we just don't. And so you write these dreams, you have these dreams right. from the very beginning when they're tiny mm -hmm. little kids, before they start walking, you think about them being their own dad. I remember thinking about what a great dad Andy was going to be. It's so funny because mm -hmm. of my three biological children, He's the only one I could really ever picture as a dad. It's funny. I just, <laughs> the other ones I just couldn't, but I just would always think to myself, man, you're going to be a great dad. You're going to be mm -hmm. such a great dad. Mm. And yet he yeah. won't. So we'll hope that the other ones might be parents someday. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But right, 
Right. So going on from that, our topic today is really about sibling loss, sibling grief, grieving as a family, Mm -hmm. just all of that kind of stuff. I've had a lot of people reach out not knowing really how to be with their other kids once the family is so changed. And so I think it'd be a great topic just to get your insight on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I just want to mention for adults who lose a sibling, let's just put you know, that, because what we're really going to focus on today is probably younger kids who lose a sibling and that we're still raising in the home. But I do find from experience that the adult who has a sibling die, they're kind of what we call the forgotten mourners because others and themselves are more worried about their parents. Mm -hmm. If their sibling had a surviving spouse, if their sibling has kids, So as the aunt and uncle, they tend to focus on, oh, you know, my sibling died, but now what about their children and their wife and then my own parents? So they become the forgotten mourners. Mm -hmm. And so I do know that 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 is a really hard component. And the other thing I think it speaks to, which we're going to talk about now, is that those bonds that are formed in families with siblings is that maybe this is the, the, the sibling you played the most with, or you were closest in age, or you, you know, had kind of the same friend circle, or you played on the same basketball team, you know, that there is a connection that no matter where you grow in life or where you go, that that person shared so much. It's called life space that we shared Mm -hmm. that together and nobody else shared that life space with you other than that sibling. And so no matter how old you are, that, they're in your life space. Like they shared that with you. So it is very, very difficult. I know even thinking about my own family with Andy being the middle child as he was, he, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, he had things that he did with his older sister that just the two of them did. Mm -hmm. He had a ton Mm -hmm. of stuff really that he did with his younger brother that the two of them did. You know, it was just really interesting because he, he held such a central Uh, spot in our family. So losing Mm -hmm. him was really hard. And honestly, it was really hard for the other two because they're further apart in age. And they were close siblings, but neither one of them were as close to each other as they were to Andy, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a whole different situation, I think, trying to have them kind of learn to be each other's siblings in a way, because they were always the second one, both of them, right? you know, right. they just were. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's through no fault of their own. They're just a little further apart in age. So they never really right. did as much together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hear from people who have more than two children, that it is interesting to watch the dynamics based on which two are together, you know, and how they interact differently with different siblings. So Andy being in the middle could turn toward the older one and have that relationship and the younger one and have that. So I I definitely get that. Yeah. I mean, I just think about when Catherine was, you know, in high school, obviously when Andy died, Andy was about to start at that high school. She told everybody at that school about her brother and how her brother was coming to school and all of that stuff, right? She was so excited about that. 
Peter was never going to be in high school with Andy. I mean, they were, mm-hmm. or with, with Katie, they were never going to be in school together. So it just was different. I mean, the only time mm-hmm. they were in school together was when my daughter was in fourth grade and Peter was in kindergarten. And that was one right. year and that was it forever because we never mm-hmm. have more than four grades in one school. So it just was, was so, so different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first thing we should point out, and you in in your role as a pediatrician know this also, but for a a younger child, losing a sibling affects their health, their behavior, their schoolwork, their self-esteem, and their overall development. And I think we first have to point that out, that if, you know, children are resistant, resilient, and they do bounce back. But I think we have to look and open up maybe some people's eyes to realize that children are affected. This is going to touch them. This is going to change them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes we wait to see if a problem happens rather than looking and knowing that they are changed. You know, does that make sense? Like, Oh, I'll just see if their behavior regresses. Um, If not, phew, but we just need to kind of be aware of that. I think back to even someone that I met through Starlight who lost her daughter. And then she had a young, younger daughter who was maybe two, two and a half. And she was not sleeping well. Mm -hmm. And they talked to the pediatrician about it. And the mom said, I think it's because of her sister's death. This was six months after her sister died. And Mm -hmm. the pediatrician said... Oh, I thought she'd be over that by now. <gasps> because oh she's word. only like two and a half years old. Right. She's little. Oh. But I I don't think I mean, obviously and, and what's funny is it's someone local and I actually know of that person, know the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe you. I don't feel like I know her enough to pick up the phone and say, Hey, <laughs> that was really terrible right. that you said that. Yeah. But it does <laughs> it does educate me enough to think maybe if I did an education session. And I, she was one of the people I invited. Maybe that would be helpful. Right. But anyway, you know, you think about even though she's young and may not really think about her older sister dying specifically, she is living now in a grieving household right. that is far yeah. different from what what she was used to. And that absolutely could 100% affect her sleep. Absolutely. And she knows that mom is, is different and hurt and they can sense that because if we know, and and I hope we all know this, that children know and can feel love, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, at her age, she knew love. Well, then we know pain too. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So she has the ability to feel and experience the love. She has ability um, to feel and experience the pain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Um, so developmentally, they are affected. And the feelings described by young children are often sad, um, lonely. And then another big one is different from their peers, right? Because, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, the founder of Starlight had said this, and one of the reasons that she chose the name Starlight was, um, first of all, her son, Seth, who died, was adopted from Russia. She's been on the show and people heard her story, but she yes, loved the yes, way he said yes. stars. 
And he used to say, you know, I love you to the stars and back instead of the moon. But she chose the word light because she realized that her children were going to be the light for other children to help them through the death of their siblings because they felt so all alone. Mm-hmm. That right away to realize that when your children have, let's say your child's in third grade, every day of third grade, they were just like their peers. And when their sibling dies, they're not just like their peers anymore. They are different. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that, that is a huge, you know, describing factor of how they feel. They feel different. I think when death is so publicized and I think it is is even more so now with social media and everybody knowing right away, everything that happens inside of communities and families is the children feel like everyone's watching them too Mm -hmm. and how they react and what they do. So, yeah. There's no question about it. I remember thinking after Andy died of my other kids and how bad I felt that they were not just going to be regular kids anymore. And I knew they Uh weren't. I mean, I growing up for me when I was in high school, you know, both of my parents had cancer. I lived in a very small community. Everyone knew both of my parents had cancer. And I always felt like such an odd one right? For mm-hmm. the, the person mm-hmm. whose parents were both sick. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted that for my kids. I just wanted them to be able to be normal and not have everyone look at you and say, oh, she's the one. Oh, he's mm-hmm. the one. And right. yet I knew that's what happened. You know, I took Catherine with me to the gym. Oh, it was it was several months after Andy died. It wasn't like soon. I mean, it was I don't know, probably six, nine months, maybe. And we went in there and there was another kid in there that was from her high school. And Catherine was in another part of the gym, so she couldn't hear. And so the trainer said, oh, there's Catherine over there. You go to school with her. And the kid goes, oh, is she the one whose brother, you know, and then, of course, he cut him Mm -hmm. off because I was right there, too. And he didn't realize I was the mom, Mom. you know. Mm-hmm. But I thought that's what I it's exactly what I didn't want to happen. And that's right. exactly what happened, that that's all she was known as to this kid. She wasn't known mm-hmm. as Catherine Larson at all. She was known as the one whose brother was killed in the car accident right once right. we started. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting reflecting back over some recent events that happened. I grew up in a neighborhood where we were on a golf course and the fairway that our neighborhood was on, for some reason, they took that one fairway of homes, both sides of the road, and moved us to a different school about seven miles away. So that section of kids were different than all the other three miles around the golf course. So we were kind of tight as a neighborhood. We had only one in those probably 12 to 15 homes of kid, filled with kids that had divorced parents. And I remember, and I was just reflecting on this, how the girl in that family never really felt like she fit in. And I think even back then I had this caregiving nature to make everyone feel included and in how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And I remember just struggling with how to make that girl feel like she belonged. And she kept saying, but my parents aren't married to each other. 
so in reflecting back, it's sad that divorce is more prevalent now, but she felt so out of it. And looking back, that's what she was described as, um, or she felt. So they do, they, they attach onto that. And it's a label that, you know, this girl in her case, she didn't sign up for her parents to be divorced and no one in your family signed up for what happens, but it changes the dynamic of our story. It's, it shifts everything. It's called the fallout, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the other reasons in a sibling's response that oftentimes children get angry is what changed and the fallout from the death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it shifts their family dynamics. The other thing is <laughs> that they also have to now live with an anxiety or a, a an awareness or a fear of that death can really happen. Because yeah. when we live as children, we don't think about that being real. But for your children, especially Peter being in the car, knowing that these things really happen to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then they fear that they're going to die or other people in their family are going to die. So they used to live this really fun, carefree existence. And now the fallout of being the kid whose brother died, but also living with this fear that this can happen at any moment. Yeah. hmm right. I want to go back a little bit before we go into some of these feelings, though, when we talked about that shared life space, we have to also talk about sharing a room, you know, those kinds of things, like what was the relationship? And I think we do have to identify in the sake of twins or multiples, the bond is different. I I just wrote it down yesterday because I was working with a twin and I'm going to look up a, it's, it's a twinless twins.org. I have not looked it up, but I just wanted to put that out there as a resource. But I think we also have to look at that shared space and who played together and who was connected. Like we talked about with the relationship. But the other thing that happens in a normal family is kids get mad at each other and they do fight like your kids fought, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you called your sibling a name or you had had a little squabble over a game or whatever, there is that guilt in the the feelings that come to. Yeah. That last thing that Katie said to her brother was a negative kind of thing like that. He, I was calling Mm -hmm. upstairs because we were going to be late for the game and he had to be up and he said something. I think he said, I don't know what he said. He said like, oh, geez, or something like that. Like almost, almost saying the Lord's name in vain a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so what did Catherine say is, Andy, don't talk like that. Don't say that. Mm -hmm. And that's last, those last words she ever said to her brother. And oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, it's just, it just hurt her so badly that the last Mm -hmm. words she said were negative. But I mean, it it was a correction kind of thing. And Honestly, I didn't hear him do it, or I probably would have done the same thing. You know, I mean, (laughs) it was him just being that teenager rolling his eyes, mom's rushing him, and he's not wanting to Mm -hmm. be rushed. So it was not at all inappropriate what she did, but the guilt she felt over that being the last interaction was real. Yeah, very much so. And we talked about guilt last time and that talking Mm -hmm. it out and processing it. 
I think also kids sometimes, especially if there's been a long-term or even short-term illness where the parent's attention has been on the ill or dying sibling, there can be a sense of relief that, you know, I'm going to get my mom and dad back. And then they feel guilty for feeling that way, like almost relieved, like those little hearts, they have the same feelings we do as adults. It's just Mm -hmm. good that we're taking time to have some parents stop and maybe look at how their children might be feeling. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the multiples thing. You, I'm sure, have not listened yet, but the episode yesterday. I started. Yeah. Oh, did you? Okay. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're I'm obviously I record these a little bit ahead, so this is why you're mm-hmm. there will be a few between, but yeah, but that's what we talked about and even though her twin brother only lived for 3 weeks, she's a twin and she's a twin forever and she mm-hmm. will talk about her twin mm-hmm. and you know, just talking to that mom about how when you have a twin, it's not like you have a kid and a backup kid. You have two distinct precious individuals with relationships right. of their own and personalities of their own. And mm-hmm. I feel in some ways as if when you lose a twin that the general public or a triplet or a quadruplet or whatever mm-hmm. will think, well, at least they've got the others and mm-hmm. they won't feel um, even as much sympathy. Right. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that minimizing. Like, well, I'm so glad you have... You have the other one so that you don't have to be as sad. Like it's going right. to make you less sad because there was a mm-hmm. twin. Like that's right. just so ridiculous. But I think it's a common thought, actually. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, this I mom really felt like like that people really wanted her to focus on the daughter, focus on Alice, focus on what you have. Mm-hmm. So glad she has Alice. And when she was desperately missing Eli and mm-hmm. and would really like people to acknowledge missing Eli. Right. Is real and valid and needed and all those things. And I think because I had twins on the mind yesterday, that's why I, you know, read the story and started listening because yeah. that is a unique situation for siblings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the new bereavement director at our children's hospital just reach out to me the other day saying I've had so she's had so many multiples where one has died that she just didn't know what to do when she was just asking for advice on what to do Mm -hmm. because it is a unique situation for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. I think another thing that siblings feel sometimes is they feel that others may trump their grief in the fact that, you know, the parents are the primary grievers Therefore, there's people more significant in the grief journey than them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they kind of feel left behind. And one of my fear, not fears, but one of my thoughts in talking about this today, it was, it will lead into what do children need. And I think providing someone in a space that's all theirs to grieve and to do the work is important because we don't want to neglect them or forget that they are grieving too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think that's really important. I remember even bringing Peter to a therapist. We brought him really right away. My office set up therapists for everybody. And and it wasn't too long, actually. And his therapist said, I, I think he's doing pretty okay. I'm not 
sure he actually needs to come because I think he was thinking, mm-hmm. he's not sure really what I'm doing for him. Mm-hmm. And yet I asked Peter and he said, no, I really want to keep going. And mm-hmm. even though I think they talked about sports some of the time and school and other stuff, they didn't spend every moment talking about Andy and his grief. It was a time, though, that he felt really safe to just talk about his grief. He wasn't going to make me cry. He wasn't going to get his dad right. upset. He wasn't going to get his sister upset. It was someone completely removed from the situation. And he just wanted to keep right. going. And I was fully in support of that. Just. So he knew that if even if it wasn't like he didn't want to talk about it that much that day, it was okay because it was set, right. It was time set that he could, you know. Right. And I think your point is very valid. Is that children? First of all, they need adults in their life, so they have to know that you're going to survive first. So for him, looking at you saying, "I can't pile my stuff on my mom because she's hurting too," so that's their safe space to put their things. And I think it is always wise for parents to say, even if you don't, you don't necessarily have to have a a therapist, but, you know, here's your person, a youth pastor, you know, a family member, somebody that says they're who that's who you can talk to. Yeah, I I think that is really important if you could possibly find that to find someone outside of your immediate home, for sure, Mm -hmm. someone who isn't personally mourning this loss as deeply that they feel like they can really safely go to. I mean, and it's, it may take a little bit of searching for who that person is in your life, but gosh, I think it's worthwhile. Right. And I tell people who want to help families, I say, is there someone in the family who you can be their person? You know, like we, we struggle to find what our role is as friends or family when a family is hurting And it's like, maybe you can identify. And so many times I have reached out to friends and family and said, hey, if anyone needs their person, I'm available. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll just pick one and, you know, that they have somebody to talk to. We have some friends going through a little bit of a crisis right now. And and so what I did with my kids, besides sending the prayer requests, like, hey, pray for them, my youngest daughter I said, hey, connect with their daughter. Like, that's our role. You be her person to say, if you need to talk, if you need someone while this is going on, I'll be there for you. Well, and I think of even my friend, Michelle, who, you know, has been Mm -hmm. such an amazing support for me. So Michelle lost her sister to cancer when she was young. And then at the same time, when her sister was dying, her older sister got cancer. And so she started Mm. treatment at that time. So now you're living in a bereaved home with another child with cancer, and she's the only well one. And she talks so fondly about a woman who had been a family friend to her parents and what that woman did for her and how Mm -hmm. that was her person. Because, you know, as much as her parents would have wanted to be there for her in some ways, they just really couldn't, right? She was Mm -hmm. missing her little sister. And she was Uh terrified her older sister was going to die. And not just in an abstract way, right? She really has cancer Mm -hmm. that actually she even let go further than she should have because she, you know, was hiding the tumor on her neck because she didn't want her parents to see it. You know, she knew. So 
I think, wow. again, why how kids want to protect their parents, right? They know that their parents are going mm-hmm. through a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be that. Right. I don't want to be a burden. But it, this mm-hmm. woman was Michelle's person and really helped her right. get through in ways she doesn't know how she would have otherwise. Right? Right. Because at the very beginning, I said the word lonely, like children feel lonely. And in that, they feel alone because... Oftentimes our family is our greatest support. Like that's who we go to. So they feel during a hard time that they don't have that safety net. So what those parents did and what this other woman did for your friend, Michelle is created that safety net for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she had that. And so we want to, you know, take away that loneliness and provide that. I would not wait as a parent for your child to come up to you because they're not going to at 8, 10, 12, 14, 15, and say, no matter what age, you're not going to come up to you and say, mom and dad, I feel lonely. Could you create a safety net for me with uncle, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to do that. So we have to do that for, Mm -hmm. and don't wait until they present problems. Just say, this is your person and you're not alone in this um, Mm -hmm. and give them that. Because the other thing is, is when we assume, because they're not talking about it, that they're not having problems is then we create almost a closed system in our families where we're not talking. Mm -hmm. And what children say to me is because your family's not talking about anything. They say, if I died, uh, you know, it, it'd be okay. Cause, and I'll say, okay. It's not that they say no one in my family cares, but what it comes around to is we don't talk about, you know, if grandpa died or a sibling died, they said, we don't talk about them. And it really devalues their life too. So, you know, we talked about the holidays and remembering someone and there's value in that because kids are silent. Please don't misinterpret that, that they're not remembering that person. It's such a delicate balance though, isn't it? With siblings. It is. Because you want to bring them up so they know they were loved. And so you love them all, right? And they're valued and each one is valued. But you also can fall into this track, which I've heard from others, as well as my own family, that, oh, you think he was perfect. The one who died was somehow perfect. And you never say anything bad about Andy anymore. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, and Andy had a lot of flaws. And I, I know Andy had a lot of flaws. Honestly, I was more worried about him all the time because of his Mm -hmm. many flaws. So that's the balance, right? You can't, you can't act like they were perfect. And right. almost create a shrine honoring this this child who is gone, but yet you have to make everyone make them feel valued too. That's a balance. Right. Well, I will get to that. I, I want to just your point is so important, and I wanted to make sure we got there. It's like that comparison and the expectation, and the the surviving siblings often feel that they're compared to the person Mm -hmm. who died, because oftentimes we do elevate those who have gone to, you know, a standard of, ah, (laughs) you know, they were perfect, like you mentioned, but then that expectation of how am I supposed to behave? Where do I fit now? I've had kids say to me, I think you have to die in my family to, to get attention kind of things. And it's like, Uh wow, that's really sad. So we don't want them to feel that they're living in the shadow of the the deceased sibling. Now, sometimes those expectations, comparisons, or that living in actually does come from the parents. And sometimes it's self-imposed from the child. And so that's that balance that you're talking about. I have said this, whether it was the holidays, we've talked about so many things. It really does come down to communication. 
mm-hmm. and and communicating. And I think even sometimes to say, you know, if you're driving with your child and you're, you're surviving children and you have a thought of Andy and you want to say it, even to say, you know, I just had a thought about Andy that I wanted to share. And is that okay with you today? Mm-hmm. It's that taking that time. And some days they may go, yeah, no, I don't really want to hear it. And other days they may go, sure. But again, that's the energy that it takes to communicate and ask like, hey, do I talk about this too much? Is this okay? You know, kinds mm-hmm. of things. Well, I know even with me, you know, I told you that I, w- I got a little bit of, he wasn't perfect. And mm-hmm. so the other day, Peter was at his golf lesson and he apparently had a terrible golf lesson. And he couldn't drive Mm -hmm. the ball. And he's like, I'm picking him up like, I can't hit the ball. And he was like being dramatic. And I just looked at him and I said, what are you, Andy? Are you being dramatic? Because that is totally an Andy move that he would have, like the world is falling apart because he's not hitting a golf shot, right? And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And And it was good because... In that way, I brought up his brother, but I actually brought it up a quality in his brother that was not really great, mm-hmm. but it sort of made him laugh because mm-hmm. we always hated it when Andy did that. He hated it when Andy did that. So mm-hmm. I, I think it ended up being kind of a good way to bring him up in that it brought him up as a, like a present thing, right? Mm-hmm. Not remembering back a specific memory, but also not just idealizing him as perfect either. So I think those were sort of safe, I think are kind of safe ways to bring them up Mm -hmm. to keep them, to keep them a little bit, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are going to be times, and you probably noticed this, that then the conversation goes further down the Andy road and other times he doesn't. Like it's just left there. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that it goes there. Now, let's say that a mom is talking like you, the example you just gave and the surviving sibling wants it to go down the road, mm-hmm. but the mom can't handle that. That's where instead of shutting down and closing off, you need to say, that's a little hard for me today. Maybe we can talk about that another day, or can we open that door later for whatever reason? But again, that's that constant communication. And that's okay to do. I think that's really smart too, to say, to not shut it down entirely, but to just say, that's hard for me today. That's really big because if you say, if you really just close up, then I think it will give them the signal like that's not okay to talk about with her ever. So exactly. mm -hmm. And that, you know, and children do get their rules about death from their families and and that's how they learn how, how it's going to be. I heard a speaker once who was talking about a family secret that they had. And he said, there's no family secrets. It's all just denial. And so if we don't talk about something and open the door later or have an opportunity later, we're just denying what's gone on and what we're all feeling. So it doesn't mean you shut the door. You just can't walk through it at that moment, but we don't want to shut it completely. The other thing that I do want to say as far as coping as a family, though, and I've said this before, but the higher the need to be understood, the less capacity you have to be understanding. So that's what creates the pressure cooker that families live in is you don't understand me. I mean, you can even think of that in the marriage 
right? You get frustrated with your spouse because they don't get it. And the more you don't feel that they don't understand you, you don't have the ability to be understanding with them either, right? Mm -hmm. So with families, if a child isn't understood, that's key because then they there's no understanding there. So that's why we have to realize that everyone has different needs and different ways to grieve. And we have to try to understand where someone is. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. That's hard work. But it's a really, really good point to think about that too. And the mm-hmm. fact I think I'm thinking about several examples of people who feel like you just don't understand me, you just don't understand me, you just don't understand me. And you're right in that those are the people then that seem to have a really hard time understanding others because they're so mm-hmm. focused on the fact that they aren't understood. So it, yep. it does make you pick up the mirror and look at yourself a little bit mm-hmm. and say, I have to be understanding. Of mm-hmm. others before I can really be understood, probably. So, right. instead of just telling everyone how they can't understand you, just trying to yeah. put yourself in a different circumstance mm-hmm. a little. Right. And I think, you know, I've read different books and marriage books and communication and all this stuff. And, you know, and in our, I, I want to say church world, but in, in the realms of, of books as far as faith, a lot of times it's called seeing someone's heart. And sometimes what we do when we're not understood is we can't see somebody else's heart. And then we stop sharing our heart. And we kind of, you know, many months back when you and Stephanie and I talked about intimacy, we kind of, we're coming back to that too, right? That if, if you don't understand me and reach out to me, I'm cutting off to you. And then it just starts that cycle of not being connected. And so we don't want to do that with our children. We want to somehow keep those lines open. And so without going into a full-blown lecture here, I think we do have to look as parents, do we have a closed system or an open system? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to talk about things? And, you know, the asking the question, were you allowed to talk in your family of origin, to share feelings, to share anger, to be hurt? This past weekend, I was with my niece and her husband and then my great nieces, and they did such a good job with when their daughter was not wanting to share, she's three and a half. And, you know, it's like, okay, you got to share your toys with your cousins, blah, blah, blah. But the dad and mom looked at her and said, it's really hard to share, isn't it? And they just allowed her to have that open space for a few minutes Mm -hmm. to go, no, I really don't want to share my toys with my cousin. (laughs) That's just that example of allowing them to have their feelings rather than closing them off. The more boundaries you have of, we don't go there. We don't talk about that. You just, that those are closed systems versus the open. Mm-hmm. I recently yep. read an article in the Washington post that I found really interesting about how we are as a society trying to raise our children to just be happy and be happy and do things that make you mm-hmm. happy. And don't cry, yeah. just be happy and trying to keep your children happy all the time and keeping, keeping them in certain events and sports and mm-hmm. whatever, things that are fun and you should just be right. having fun. And how it's really doing them a, a disservice to not let them be in the feelings of frustration and anger and fear. All the, those feelings, you have to allow them to exist and acknowledge them so that they can know how to work through them. 
Because when you are quick to, when your kid's frustrated, quick to just give them something to make them happy and shut up or give them the Mm -hmm. iPad or whatever. Now, we haven't really worked with them on how to work through that feeling of frustration or work through those feelings. And I think, anyway, I found it really interesting as a pediatrician reading that because I see that. But then I thought as a grieving parent, too, I think it's doing a disservice to those kids who are going through this big, big stuff. We haven't even been letting them handle the little stuff. Right. And now they're forced to try this big, huge thing. And they're not even, they don't even know how to do the little stuff. No, I I could talk about this for hours. You know, back in the old days, I mean, life was tough and kids knew life was tough and their parents would tell them life stinks. It's tough. Get out there and milk that cow and get out there and plant that field or whatever. But now in this generation of kids that are growing up, everything they've seen is easy. If you want money, you drive up, put a little card machine and a bunch of 20s come out. Anything you want just happens at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. I, I've told this story that my we live in a rural community. My 20-something-year-old daughters were at a bonfire and someone said, oh, craving Taco Bell. And someone's like, let's Grubhub it and have it delivered. And now you can just sit at a bonfire and go, I want Taco Bell and clap your fingers and Taco Bell comes. You don't have to wait for anything. You don't have to wait for anything. So therefore, you know, if a child doesn't make a basketball team, we sign them up for, you know, the club volleyball. If someone steals their bike, we just buy them a better bike or a moped. We don't allow children to have those those painful moments and teachable moments to say life is tough. Because I often with kids have to reflect back and even adults is, can you tell me about other painful times you've had and how did you make it through that? And does... Did you think you were going to make it through and, and allowing that to give them hope that they will make it through. So we have to have those moments of, of pain. And, and I'm not saying like, oh, dump all the life's hurts on your kids and make oh, their no, life. Of course not. No, but we have to give them those natural moments of a period of time where if their dog does die, that we don't just go out and buy another dog the next day or that afternoon. You have to sit in that pain for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could go on and on and on and on about that. <laughs> but I think it's an important point. I'm really glad that we talked about it because mm-hmm. I think too, when we have when we have a child die and you have other kids at home, you just desperately don't want it to like ruin them, right? You right. want it, right? You want mm-hmm. them to be okay, and you just want them to be okay so badly. This is going to change them. And we have to accept that and know that, that we're just as we are not the same people. I am not the same person I was before Andy died. Mm-hmm. I, I mourn that person that I used to be in many ways, but in other ways, I celebrate who I am now too. Because, right. and the same right. thing is with our kids. They are going to experience this pain and this loss and it's horrible, but in some ways... I look at Peter now and I see such a compassionate kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He feels for people more than he ever did before. My daughter says the same thing. She says, I I feel like I didn't really even know what feelings were until Andy died. And now Mm -hmm. she just feels them Mm -hmm. all so much more. So it's anyway, it's just important. And I'm not ever one to give cliches at all, but 
you know, I'm often reminded of the saying that calm seas do not make a skillful mariner. Like you learn how to be a better sailor when you have to go through the rough seas. They do teach us something. And so they are going to learn things through this. And again, you do mourn who you were. But what I'd like to do is just kind of just briefly talk about four tasks as a family that are healing things that we can think about so that we have some meat to what we're doing. And again, it opens up a bunch of different other conversations because a family that's listening today still is probably saying, okay, tell me, how am I going to do this with with my kids? I think that shared acknowledgement is one. And that is that open information and honesty, right? And answering those questions and being honest about our feelings and having that open system. I grew up in an environment which my parents did not fight or or show us any differences that they had. I just didn't know Mm -hmm. that families fought. I share this story that my kids were, um, my husband and I were having a disagreement. My kids were swimming in a pool and I knew that they knew that I was crying and upset. So I pulled them over the side of the pool and I said, mommy and daddy are over here and we're having a discussion. Um, We love each other. No one's going away. We're not getting a divorce. But right now we just have a disagreement and we've got to work that out. So you can swim and know that we're okay over here doing what we need to do. So they go off and swim. And a few minutes later, I hear my daughter go, that's my mom and dad over there. And they love each other. But my mom really doesn't like my dad right now. Can you see she's crying? And they just... (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, wow, I really did differ from my parents in allowing my children to see that that's part of life. Like we love each other, but we are going to have days where we just don't get along. That's that shared acknowledgement that there's a little Mm -hmm. problem today. We're not getting along. Then the next one is the shared expression of pain. And so show children painful. Again, we don't give them all of our pain and please don't do that to your children and have that be your, your dumping ground. But if parents hide it, then children conclude that they don't have those feelings and then they think that their feelings are wrong. Mm -hmm. One of the helpful things that I tell families is when you have pain, especially surrounding a death, is that you need to name it. And I, I know you know this story from taking my grief class and I share it in the videos that I do. But when my father in law died, I had to describe what my mother-in-law went through. And when she come over and cried, finally, I said to the kids, they called grandpa Papa. And I said, she's having a Papa moment. Like she just needs to have those moments and they come over her. And, and so then when they had one, they could tell her grandma, I had a Papa moment today. Mm -hmm. And then it was something that wasn't hidden, but they knew exactly what each other was talking about. You have a big smile. Do you have one of those? I I used that now with my own daughter and that she called me about two weeks ago on the phone, just sobbing, crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said something like, I don't know. And something. And I said, are you having an Andy day? Mm -hmm. And she said, yes. And just started sobbing. And I thought, and then that and the only reason I even voiced, I, I termed it that way was because of you and that story of the puppet mm-hmm. moment. And I thought, yeah. that's that's what we've got to call it. We've just got to, because right. the fact that she's calling me sobbing, there's something mm-hmm. really wrong. And the fact yeah. that she did, thought she couldn't tell me made me think it's an Andy moment because she didn't want to get me sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and at some point they don't even... 
know how to verbalize it. And just the fact that you helped give her the words too. And there's going to be times that she's going to give you the words. And that's that shared expression because we know each other's words. We've talked about it. We've labeled it. It's okay in our family to have those moments. Well, and what the funny thing is, is what had put her over the edge is she's watching on Disney Plus WandaVision. <laughs> and okay. on that, on this, it was the second to the last episode of WandaVision. And the one character in there was like, had a, basically a chokehold, like some sort of magical chokehold on the two children of Wanda. Um, so she was threatening to kill those oh boys and Catherine also knew from the comic books that those boys actually don't live so they're going to die and mm-hmm. it, that's what put her over the edge right she's yeah. watching this thing that those brothers are going to die and all she can think about is her own brother dying uh-huh. and yeah you know and now, now watching a di- show on Disney plus has put her into sobbing And Mm -hmm. then sobbing quietly into the phone with me because she doesn't want her roommate to hear that she has completely fallen apart because of a TV show. Yeah, but it just evoked and those emotions for her, you know, just live so close to the surface and that, you know, got in there and opened that wound for her. And well, and probably, you know, I didn't think about it, but probably she'd been watching that show with those boys in it, thinking of her own brothers, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you just don't think about it that way, but she probably was. Right. And now it's not just a story that you're watching, because when we watch someone else's story, we can feel bad for them, but it connects in a totally different way for her now. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we have to look at is sometimes for our kids, it's not just the grief. I mean, it's what else is going on in their life and what other stresses and it just kind of comes down to. So when sometimes they say, when parents, we ask what's wrong and they don't know, I always think, is it a whole bunch of stuff? Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. I think another thing, so we talked about shared acknowledgement, then the shared expression of pain is the reorganization of your family system because we talked about the fallout and kids get lonely or mad or feel guilty about the fallout is that we have to be comfortable with chaos for a time. And that's what's so hard is none of us like living in that rocky turmoil. Mm -hmm. We want everything Mm -hmm. to be that happy homeostasis that we just talked about. And that's what we try to create for our kids. But for a while, our family's not going to be stable. We're going to have this time. So there could be role reversals, new patterns of things that happen. And so we don't want to quickly fill those in or add something new to try to make life better. It's okay to live and restructure for a while. So to say to your kids, we're going to be in this restructuring and it's going to hurt and we're going to have pain and we're going to try to figure this out, but we'll find our new pattern and our new, and and you know, you've lived that, right? And I think back to a story that you had shared in the past, I think on, on, in the video series or something with what lecture that I've had, but when you talked about the boy who was really upset because his mom was no longer cooking and Mm -hmm. his mom was having a, incredibly hard time cooking for one less. And so they had this, you know, this whole controversy as to how to do that. But it went back to the, you need to communicate. And the boy needs mom to cook every once in a while. And the mom can't be cooking seven days a week. So they came out with a very nice little pattern. But again, it's the communication. 
knowing this is chaotic, knowing I'm not going to get my mom cooking seven meals mm-hmm. a week for me, you know? Right. Yeah. So that story, the boy had lived while his brother was dying, getting meals from a lot of other people. Then when his brother died, the expectation was my mom was going to be back into normal and my family was going to be back to its normal structure and the mom couldn't do that. So again, that they shared the expression of pain and what they were both going through. And then in that restructuring, they came up with a great compromise after, and and again, takes work. But I, I love sharing that, what the result was for them, because this may help another family, is that yeah. they took the seven days of the week and we kind of came up with the plan. So mom cooked one night, dad cooked another, and the boy cooked one. He was about 13 or 14. Then one night was pizza night, sandwich night, leftover night, and they went out to dinner one night. So there's seven days, mom only had to cook one. And they were all structured and the boy knew, oh, tonight's pizza night, tonight's sandwich night. And the, for the boy, somebody else wasn't bringing him food ever, right? right. I mean, which is, is what he and really needed to him, get rid of. mom, and dad. Yep. Him, he mom, and dad. He needed to get rid of other people bringing food into the house. Yep, exactly. Then the last thing is reinvesting and redirecting of goals. And this is really important to kids. It's who are we now that this happened to us? But I think it always takes at least the seasons to pass. This is not something that you can reinvest or redirect in the first few months. Like we have to go through the seasons of grief. We have to let some time because we must, you know, look at our past and grieve it and mourn it before we can say hello to the future. And I think sometimes we do get too futuristic in trying to just make everything better. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to just jump into redirection, but we do have to reinvest and say, what are we now? What do vacations look like now? What what do we want to do? How is this going to go? Those are the, the things that I wanted to leave with families today. And I love how you said that last one is going to take some time because I Mm -hmm. do think we feel rushed both by others and by ourselves to do that in some ways. Like other people, especially, they just want you Mm -hmm. to get better and they want you to focus on what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And sometimes you just need to be okay Mm -hmm. taking time. You know, I, I think, again, I feel like I've talked about my daughter quite a bit this time, but she feels... Like she was feeling really terrible the other day that she just is having a very hard time looking to the future because it's just, again, it's so much of that fear and Andy just was suddenly gone. And I think she has this fear that suddenly she may be gone. And I had Mm -hmm. to remind her, like she's trying to do school and she's trying to do all this stuff and it's pandemic and it's a mess. And I said, do you remember, you know, I took off a year from work, a Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And I didn't work. And I just Mm -hmm. worked on this. Said, you have taken off no time. Like, she was back to school by, you know, Andy's funeral was the first day of school. She was back to school by like the third day of school and Mm -hmm. hasn't gotten to really miss a day. They just, you just expect kids can just keep going. Like parents can take all of this time off and kids, though, just have to go back to school and just keep going. So to give them permission to be like, it is okay that this is not working well for you right now. It is okay that school is really hard for you right now. Because for a lot of people, it takes a good amount of time. We shouldn't be just pushing it on them, you know? That is so wise of you. And just to allow her that time and that we don't have to push. And 
And I think for she's your firstborn, the drivenness, those kinds of things that they feel they have to have life figured out. And so not only does she not have life figured out, it threw a curveball. And not only with having Andy die, but a pandemic and all the things that you just listed. Yeah. We've never done this before. We've got to take some time and figure it out. Yeah. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not have everything figured out. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much, Gwen, for being on the show today. I just learn so much from you every time and I can't wait till the next one. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.